Welcome to the Highfalutin Podcast. The Highfalutin Podcast is a conversational exploration into the topics of the day framed around a theme chosen in advance by your hosts, Monica Schrager, Ryan Norsworthy, and me, Matt McCarthy. The ninth episode of the Highfalutin Podcast is safe. Hello, and welcome to the ninth episode of the High Pollutant Podcast. The theme we chose to explore for this episode is safe. So we chose the theme safe because I think a lot of us are no, feeling... No, we didn't choose the, real, the theme safe. What? We chose the theme safe. Oh, sorry. So we chose the theme safe with a question mark for emphasis because I think most of us are feeling refreshed and exhaling a little bit after these last few days with the new administration and all the all the experience and diversity and hope that it holds. But we've also suffered PTSD after these last four years and particularly after the events a couple of weeks ago at the Capitol, the riots. So I feel we're all looking over our shoulder and really wondering, are we, are we, are we really safe? Um, those rioters from two weeks ago aren't gone, you know, those radicals, you know, QAnon and everyone who has these really radical right-wing views aren't gone. Um, but the arrests that are happening coming out of that Capitol riot are refreshing to see, you know, and Biden has promised to be a president for everyone. Can he convince people to come together? Are these people realizing they've been fooled by Trump or will they burrow underground? You know, um, the expected state protest didn't really happen around the country. So, Hopefully we are on the right path and we are all feeling safe, but I feel we're all still just looking over our shoulders and just kind of, we're still suffering from that PTSD. So we're still not quite certain yet. Matt, what do you think about safe? Well, I think just what you said, Monica, I mean, you, you know, that's exactly how we're feeling right now. Right. It's, I think it feels better. It feels like, you know, I think everybody kind of let out a sigh of relief, Um, but there's still, you know, Ryan, you said it, I think the last podcast, right? Like, where does all that anger and hate go? And, and I think that there is an element of, you know, what's going to happen next? What could happen next? And, um, and then, you know, of course, there's also the coronavirus and, uh, you know, and that's a huge safety issue. And are we feeling like we're getting, you know, on the right path there? So, I, you know, I think we are on the right path, but it's um, everybody everybody's safety i think everybody's looking at safety in a different way right now and questioning in it and and um it's something that maybe we used to take for granted a little bit that i don't think we are anymore so i really love the question mark aspect of it because um i guess i'm just naturally a contrarian and i just i wonder with all the optimism and and change in the administration and people's feelings about uh, the the recent past administration um, has anything really changed? Um, so, is there any reason to feel safe or less safe because of that? So, I thought it was a, I I, I love I I just ro- like the prospect of uh, diving into it. Um, uh, I think of it in in terms of, or I have been thinking of it in terms of, uh, you know, the ele- the election. And the uh, recent um, insurgents on the uh, Capitol on uh, January 6th um, and uh, how it affects me personally and and my 
day-to-day life as just getting along. So I look forward to getting into it. The, like that question of like, what's really changed, you know? I mean, that's like, there, there is like, there's a guy at the helm, I think now who like, you know, an administration at the helm, I think now who like knows how to drive the car at least, you know what I mean? Like, like I heard an analogy the other day, like the fire's out, you know, but now like the damage is, you know, we have to like recover from the damage. Right. Right. And, um, and there's also still like half the country that lives in a different reality. Like there's, there's two different realities going on here. You know, like you see the reaction of the Trumpers and the people who like there's a significant portion of the country who still thinks that election was stolen, which is only because they've been told it was stolen by politicians who are lying to them. Right. There's no evidence for it. There's no, you know, um, that divide didn't go away and there's still like two sources of truth out there and as long as that exists like you can't really be safe if you're living in a society with two groups of people who are living in completely different realities that's that's become scary to me i might argue though that that is how this country has almost always been you know there's always been this divide between those who tried to embrace and address systematic racism, for example, and those who ignored it, you know, you could almost think of it as South and North. So to a certain degree, we've had that divide. I agree with you, like how I question and wonder how can we really move forward and how can Biden come together? But I'm starting to see, I think some of those people from those arrests at the Capitol were, are now realizing that their president isn't coming to save them. And, you know, they're not being pardoned and and even Mitch McConnell's turning on Trump, you know? So some of these other Republican leaders, you know, are starting to turn. The divide that I think is, yeah, yeah. The divide that I think is different. Like, I think you're right. That divide has always been there and, you know, but the divide that I think is different is this like divide about the facts, you know? There's this like, and I think, Monica, I was thinking about this, you know, when we were preparing for this, the, we took a class together in college, right? There's yeah. Evanson, the, uh, and he would talk about like the dangers of the consolidation of mass media and how like when you, you know, you start to have, there used to be 50 media companies and they mm-hmm. all had different editorial boards and different voices and different interests. Now there are six media companies and suddenly then there are three and there, you know, and, and that all is being run by, it used to be, you know, news used to be like a prestige thing for networks. Now it's like a moneymaker and a, and a ratings thing. And that's not good for information and facts and news. Yeah, well, and I minute, actually... But, I mean, isn't it almost the opposite? I mean, due to the internet that there are more, like infinite amount of sources that you could go to but those aren't really sources right like i mean the you know like but i mean the, that's where the problem lies though right is that yeah. people can, can come to their own conclusion because they can find things online right so one thing one i remember that class really well history broadcasting it was an awesome class it was a um class. i did read recently about the fairness doctrine have you guys read up about this it was in 1949 and it was a policy that required those who held broadcast licenses to present controversial issues of public importance in a manner that was honest, equitable, and balanced. The FCC eliminated that policy in 87 and removed that rule um, from the policy in 2011. So one, there's been some discussion about resurrecting that to a certain degree, because there was, I don't remember the name, but there was a recent Fox News guy who just talked about, he left and he was like, I I couldn't keep 
doing that, perpetuating these lies, you know? So there should be, you know, some kind of requirement that anyone who maybe holds a broadcast license, you know, does have to, you know, be equitable and balanced. You're right. There are these other sources that are not um, exactly that way, but then there are some that are trying to be. So there should be maybe some rule around, like if you are communicating news in any way that you are objective as journalism is always intended to be. I can tell you one thing that struck me um, when, in terms of safe, I've never felt safer than when uh, Twitter kicked Trump off the oh, platform. That was wonderful. I think that's, I think that is regardless of uh, the first amendment, um, whatever anybody thinks about that. I think, uh, I, I think Matt said it best when Trump was running for office, he said that Twitter account is going to be the death of all of us. <laughs> and I've I've made I've stated that quote several times throughout uh, the last four years, and um, I think I've felt no greater sense of relief, uh, of stress, and just panic than when that account has been shut down. I totally agree, and actually, it's a good point. Like to talk a little bit about the First Amendment because everyone's like, oh, you know, by taking him off, they're infringing on his First Amendment, and they are not. Correct. First Amendment just does not restrict your right to communicate. It doesn't require the platform that you want to communicate through to allow you to do so, you know, and and it's in this is again, this is the twisting of, you know, those amendments that Second Amendment too, with, you know, right to bear arms, it's just the right to form a militia in times when there were none, you know, but it but it's just a, but I agree with you, it was very, it was very refreshing to see that. company is under you know a private company is under no obligation to to give you access to their you know i mean if, if you don't follow their rules they can they yeah. can bar you access and um the analogy that i heard that i thought was interesting was there was that issue that 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 was like a free speech issue or it was like i guess it wasn't i don't know if you couldn't characterize it as free speech but it was the baker right who refused to like make the cake for the for the gay in couple, indiana right? yeah right? yeah right? Yeah. You know, and the uh, you want a private company to have those rights when it's like in that instance, but like you don't want the company to be able to like bar Trump from being able to say whatever you, you know, you see how the two things are the same issue. Right. And how can you be on the two different sides of that issue? Um, and that's like the hypocrisy that, you know, you always just is a hallmark of that side. It's, you know, we want to apply this value in this instance when it suits our needs, but not at this instance when it doesn't suit our needs. Kind of hypocritical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But it's also, you know, there is, there's going to be those people that argue if it's free, then that's an absolute, you know? So it's just like, you could say whatever. I think the, the point of it is, is that, or a bigger point is that, you could say whatever you want, but there are consequences. Um, so just because you could do something doesn't mean you should or it's okay. Yeah. I mean, this thing with the social media platforms, like how the, you know, the, the disinformation gets out there and how that perpetuates the division and the these false narratives. Like, you know, I don't know that we're really going to be safe until we figure that out. You know, I mean, the... Um, the Putin, you know, Putin's just crushing it. I mean, he really just could, you know, altered the course of this country. I mean, with the, his disinformation campaigns. I mean, the president of the United States is a unique position. And for that person to be, you know, look like a liar in chief. I mean, that's, that's really, that's 
a different example. I mean, it's it's different than you and I saying something. We can say whatever we want. It doesn't mean, you know, people are, we only have so much gravitas to our, our, our positions in life. When you're the leader of the free world and you're saying people stink and I won the election, I mean, that's, there's people that are going to take that as they should I mean, to a I, certain extent. We have to figure out like what, you know, it's tough. You have to figure out like what kind of liability that platform has for publishing that kind of garbage, you know, like they are the publisher of it eventually, you know what I mean? At the end of the day. Right. And they're culpable. And, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it, uh, you know, for part of this, uh, you know, that was the platform on which he lied. I mean, if you can cut him off now, why didn't you cut him off before? I mean, it was obviously well, that's the question for a long time. Well, he was still the president, you know, by the time they cut him off, he was definitely on his way out. But also, I think they've been under pressure for a while to. But isn't to, that when the well, problem cynically, really I mean, started? They, they didn't do election. it until yeah. the Democrats took the Senate, right? Yeah. I mean, like yeah. that was when they did it. Yeah, I think um, he, uh, they've been struggling, I think, for a while. They're relatively young platforms for the most part and struggling with what their role is sure. in requiring or moderating, you know, what That's happens true. on their platform. And so they've, you know, over the years, we've seen more and more guidelines around involvement and, um, you know, and rules to a certain degree. So I think this helped speed that along and help them realize like where they, where they, what role they serve there. Like Amazon too, AWS kicked Parler off because they're like, they're not following rules that we've set up for anything that's on our platform. And that's just a hosting service, you know? Um, so I think all these tech companies are just starting to, they're getting bigger over the last, you know, number of years, they've gotten bigger. They're, they hold a lot more power and sway. And so they're starting to realize more of their social responsibility. I mean, literally I've only been on Facebook, which is really the only one I use since 2009. I mean, that's only 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's only, that's only what three political, four political cycles. Mm -hmm. So. I have a cool analogy that I was going to share too around the country. So I recently learned about this Japanese art of putting broken pottery pieces back together with gold. It's called kintsugi. It's built on the idea that you're embracing flaws and imperfections and what you're creating is even more stronger and more beautiful. So you're really highlighting the scars. So if you ever look it up, I actually bought a kit for a broken bowl and I put it together. Wow. You'll see like, if you look it up, you'll see like these beautiful pieces of pottery with this very clear gold vein going through them. I've seen those, yeah, and the, gorgeous. And the idea is you're highlighting the scars as part of the design. And I kind of thought of this as an interesting metaphor for the US and that we're not trying to hide our breaks or our scars anymore, you know? We're kind of putting them out, highlighting out them out there and kind of emphasizing how they can kind of make us new and stronger and more unique, which I really like to see. Um, so that was kind of a fun analogy I thought of to that's, share. That's very it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, uh, and I believe I've said this before, and I, I know Matt wanted to bring it up almost, uh, or we thought about just using it as a theme, is accountability and um, that a lot of this stuff just you can't get away with it anymore. Um, for instance, uh, the people that uh, stormed the Capitol, um, they recorded it all and it was all it's all on tape. Uh, you know, there's cameras everywhere. There's cameras in the Capitol. Um, there's they're live streaming it there. There's reporters in the midst. It's all it's, and they're all being charged. Um, you know why they do that? Entitlement. Yeah. 
you know, never crosses their mind that they're going to get in trouble for that. They're, they're doing what they're entitled to be doing. Yeah, there's so much to said it. Yeah. yeah. Did you see the great, there's been a great meme kind of going around because now, you know, some of the Republicans and some other people are like, oh, we need to move to healing. And they're like, hold on, you can't get to healing before you pass accountability and responsibility, you know, yeah, <laughs> can't yeah. just go straight to healing. Yeah, you know? yeah. And now highfalutin news. So personally, I, along with I know a lot of other people I've talked to are feeling a sense of relief and excitement at really how quickly Biden has gotten to work you know, and particularly his attention to science, elevating it to a cabinet position and really tackling the pandemic, which we have to acknowledge is killing 4,000 people a day and is estimated to at the end of February will have killed 500,000 people in the US. If you all saw Dr. Fauci yesterday in particular, he was smiling, he felt liberated. Like he is now Biden's top medical officer and he is advisor and he is just, he is, he feels, he, people asked him, you know, do you feel liberated? How do you feel? And he was like, you know, obviously he wanted to watch his words carefully, but he's like, it just feels really great. If I don't know the answer, it's okay. You know, we'll tell you, we don't know the answer, you know? And, you know, he's like, I just talked to, you know, Biden 15 minutes ago who acknowledged that. And, you know, Jen Psaki, who had the first, you know, has already had pre more press conferences, you know, in the first few days than we've seen in a long time, you know, acknowledged that Fauci would be back. So it's just like Fauci smiling. It's just, I love this attention and respect of science in particular to start. What do you guys think about the science focus? I thought it was cool. I think he actually did use the word uh, liberated, li liberating um, and being able to uh, let science lead and not uh, have to uh, parse words and make it politically correct for his uh, boss, apparently. Um, I, I mean, I think that's great. I, th I think it's like a step toward the facts, you know, that we're talking about, right? I mean, like you need to be able to agree on science, you know, I mean, um, you need to, you know, I saw that also that um, Biden took down that like 1776 project thing yes. that, you know, where it's like this ridiculous glossed yeah. over, you know, patriotic version of American history where they, you know, they take out all the atrocities and they take out all the, you know, they hide all the warts and you don't need to, you know, you don't need to necessarily dwell on those things, but you don't grow unless you acknowledge them and try to, you know, figure that out. So I was glad to see that, you know, and that, yes, that return to science is, is critical because we have some problems we're facing that need science and scientific solutions. Yeah, and no, also, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. No, Regarding on. the, uh, the uh, press conferences, um, I heard something the other day that just blew me away and that uh, the Trump administration went 300 consecutive days without having a press conference, something like uh, that. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, that press conferences were now going to be daily again. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny what we became uh, somewhat accustomed to over the last four years. And a lot of what's happened in just a few days has been very, um, you know, I think some of the feelings that I was expecting or uh, a lot of people expected on election day or when we got the results, which were delayed, have been transferred over to the actual transfer of power because so much has happened negatively in between the two. Yeah. And before I go on, I do, it's interesting. I do want to address that. Like there's been some discussion. Have you seen the news too around why there's such a delay between the election and the inauguration? Mm. It, it dates back to 
all those electors needed to get to Washington, D.C., and there wasn't like air travel or even train travel back then. It was like everyone was moving that, you know, in their carriages. Right. So and it was winter. So, you know, it's just funny. It's like that is and, and there was a map that showed like the difference in like duration between election and like inauguration. And in some countries in or other states, it's like it's one week, you know. So this is obviously something that should be and could be changed. But it, again, requires going through Congress and legislation. Well, that's what that, I mean. That was what was has been so bizarre about and upsetting and stressful about the last four years is that all these norms that we accepted from uh, the honor of the office we realized over the last four years aren't steadfast rules and laws. I think everybody assumed that that presidents would show their their tax returns and divest from personal businesses and not own a hotel down the street from the White House, but turns out. None of that stuff's written down and you could apparently do all these things or nobody's going to be held accountable. Um, so, you know, I think um, it's uh, we're finding out the hard way we or we have found out the hard way that the, the Constitution needs some refreshing. Exactly. And to build on science as well, I am super excited that the environment is finally getting the attention it deserves. Mm-hmm. On day one, we rejoined the Paris Climate Accord and the World Health Organization. The Keystone Pipeline was reversed. Janet Yellen, who is soon to be the first woman Treasury Secretary, has set up a team to focus on climate, which she calls an existential threat. Pete Buttigieg, who will be the first LGBT, you know, Department of Transportation has vowed to make climate change a priority. And then I do have to address to um, Biden's pick for the EPA. His name's Michael Reagan. He's out of North Carolina. He's one of the top pollution regulators there, but he is a black man, the first black man who will hold that position as well. And I'm sure that will help address environmental racism in particular within the environment. He worked on the EPA's air quality and energy program with Bill Clinton and then the Bush administration before he joined the Environmental Defense Fund. So it's just also really refreshing to see such of the experience and the diversity in this administration. So before I go into adversity and diverse and of the administration, I want to give you all a shout out on the environment, if you have anything to add there. You know, after all the denial and the and the ridiculous, you know, easing of restrictions and it, yeah, I mean that needs to be a priority. It needs to be accepted. Climate change is real. We have a real problem on our hands. Greta, Greta is right. Um, we need to act now. Yeah, and you know, it, it's. I hope that. I mean, people see like going back into the Paris Climate Accord is like uh, some sort of like crazy leftist move. Like we're the only country who opted out of it. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, you know, um, uh, it's yeah, it's so refreshing this. You know, this is a big problem. It's probably the greatest challenge of, of you know, facing humanity right now. Um, that and, you know, crazy nationalism are probably the two greatest problems facing humanity right now. So yeah, that we need to focus on the environment. I think it goes without saying, uh, it's absurd to uh, not be concerned about the state of the planet. And I've been looking a little bit more into that Green New Deal, you know, which really doesn't just address the climate and meeting goals before 2050, if not before, which hopefully will be before, but it's also addressing impacts like the environmental racism, you know, which is, you know, for those who might not be so aware, look it up, but also um, it's the whole idea that like, 
lower income communities don't get as much funding into their community. And that's where like these factories with all this pollution and that's where like those old buildings with lead don't get addressed as much. Um, so it's a, it's really a fascinating topic to manage. You could say um, it play out in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Actually, did you guys see it too? There was, um, during the pandemic, we had, I think the first death of a child. It's just still going on, by the way. Yeah. We had the the first death of a child. I can't remember where, but it was attributed to pollution and climate change. Like that hasn't really been attributed to, you know, as a cause of death historically. And so I think we'll we'll start to see more of that. I, I have no, I have no qualms that that has been an issue before, but now it'll start to be, you know, acknowledge that like pollution you know, is causing those who particularly who have asthma or have breathing issues, particularly causes asthma. So if people are in those communities that are polluted communities, it, it is being acknowledged as a cause of death in certain situations, which is tragic, but also good that it's being brought to the forefront. So one, I do want to talk about the experience and diversity in this administration. You know, Biden vowed that the administration would look like the U.S. And it's really refreshing to see that being acknowledged along with all the experience. Like his cabinet will have the most people of color and the most women than anyone in the past. I think it's about half and half right now, which is great. We also have Deb Haaland, a Native American woman selected to lead the interior for the first time ever, you know? So it's just, it's very great to see all these people who have experience and are diverse. And, you know, especially after, you know, the four years we've seen of like Trump just assigning really any kind of big funder with no experience to these roles. Yeah, it's obviously it's so it's so good to see that the uh, I mean, those pictures of the Trump administration were and it, like I remember when he's picking those cabinet positions, it just seemed like, you know, it's the worst person for every position. It's like they got together, they huddled up and it's like, you know, who can we put in charge of this? Who will tear it down? You know, I know Betsy DeVos, you know, um, it, it was just yeah, it's so refreshing to see some sense brought back to it all. Yeah, and I also, you know, you mentioned it a little earlier, but I'm I'm so excited to see the press getting respect. You know, like Jen Psaki, the new press secretary, held a press briefing and said, when the president asked me to serve in this role, we talked about the importance of bringing truth and transparency back to the briefing room. And then she tweeted, the White House is a people's house, so I'm asking you to reply with your questions. I'll answer you in a video this week. Can't wait to hear from you. So it's it's so nice particularly to see the press based on you know our experience in the past in the press matt like and our respect for the press and how they were so you know disparaged and you know um the enemy of the people yeah disrespected you know during the last four years you know so so it's great to see some power coming back to the press amen amen the uh yeah i mean i wonder what those uh like washington correspondent guys are i'll bet they you know like those guys who they haven't had a press conference in 300 days so they haven't had to go to work you know suddenly <laughs> suddenly it's like a press conference every day i wonder how grateful they really are you know but um no obviously god i mean that that is like what's that's how democracy dies right when you like take away all the information and then you cast doubt upon all the facts you know and that's that's what he was trying to do everybody um and he almost got away with it thank god yeah well i i grew up with the washington post and you know it's now owned by bezos but um during the administration you know they changed their masthead or logo or whatever to democracy dies in darkness you know, and had a black screen, you know, which says democracy dies and died in darkness, which was their way of sort of, I think, addressing some of that. You know, I don't have the numbers to back it up, but I believe it, it seems to me, though, that, as well, that uh, Biden has chosen a uh, 
specifically younger uh, cabinet um, beyond the diversity. Um, I think, I think uh, something I've always argued against seems to be of, uh, his age um, has been somewhat of an asset in that he's uh, seeing a lot of good energy in the younger generations uh, for his cabinet. And I think that's, I think that's good. I agree. Like, I think, I mean, I don't know. I mean, let's see that things go continue to go well for the next three years or four years, as I assume or hope that they will, they couldn't get much worse. Well, they could, but safe, safe. Right. So, you know, I don't know if he will seek a, a second term, right. You know, it's been be, speculation. Yeah. That maybe he's so, one and done. Um, he's looking to set up, uh, uh, you know, the next generation. So, uh, in a in a sense, is the way I kind of thought of it, which is just another way of saying um, uh, I'm uh, as well, kind of encouraged by the um, the talent that uh, he seems to be bringing aboard to run the administration. Yeah, and I really i I appreciate that because if you think of Biden was criticized for a lot of things that he did years ago, you know, when he first decided to run, it sounded like before he announced, he called Anita Hill. I, I think just to kind of apologize to her, to acknowledge that he was running and because of the way that he treated her during, you know, the Clarence Thomas hearings as the head of that committee. Um, and, and Simone Sanders, if you guys know who she is, she was sort of a senior advisor to his um, campaign. She's 30. She's had this, she was Bernie's press secretary in 2016, and she is now the key spokesperson for Kamala Harris. Um, but she had to address a lot of this on the trail, you know, and those questions. And what what I think we're seeing is, I still am kind of thinking that there should be a, a, a retirement age in government. You know, we shouldn't have like 90 year olds in office, you know, in business, people are retired by then. Shouldn't we have that in government? But I think the one thing that Biden has demonstrated is that he's learned, you know, over those years, you know, he's yeah. acknowledged that like some of the th decisions he made at the time were wrong, you know, and, and he's wanting to correct that. And he's acknowledging that there is a need for more diversity and to bring more of the youth, you know, into and into, you know, politics and to bring that youthful perspective. And so that I very much do appreciate as well. You know, put some term limits in and you'll get some younger people uh, you know, running for office. You can't so, yeah, some, some balance of, you know, yeah. uh, that experience, of, you know, versus energy, I guess. Um, you need them both. Yeah, well, what we've seen too over the last few years is I guess there have been some organizations that have rallied to really promote younger people running for office and fund them because traditionally it was something you needed all this money for, you know, but I think um, our, a, um, AOC, for example, is one and um, candidate who was funded through one of these organizations, you know, that kind of really promoted and helped fund her running for office because some of these young people, they're like, that's a lot of money that's needed and I don't have that, you know? So I like to see that they're those organizations. Well, you know, money is a huge problem. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, citizens, what is it? Citizens, citizens United. United, yep, that's right. Supreme they're, Court I've decision. I've heard that's gonna be uh, addressed again. And well, I it's not to gonna be overturned by this Supreme Court unless can, we pack the court, right? I mean, unless we're gonna add a couple of justices. Yeah, well, I mean, but you'll see, I mean, I think that uh, a lot of things changed with the riot on uh, January uh, 6th, I, you saw a lot of divestment from uh, major corporations. You know, t uh, Trump had become toxic. Not only was he leaving office, not only was he getting kicked off Twitter, but he was losing important business relationships and lenders. 
you know, Deutsche Bank. I mean, that's pretty big. And I think, I mean, that could be, I could show, a, uh, I think that could be a snowball that turns into people taking a longer look at um, Citizens United. Yes. So, and then lastly, and on my news list, at least, I do have to acknowledge that we have our first woman vice president of Black and South Asian descent with Kamala Harris. I actually teared up a little bit when I saw her sworn in. It was really significant, like the barriers she's crushing. And I've seen really all over social media, like these these little girls, like parents are seeing these little girls who are like, oh, hey, our vice president looks like me. I could be vice president one day, or I could be president one day. It's just, it's just like there. And then someone actually posted too, like Kamala Harris has a couple grand nieces who are really young. And they're like, those little girls will never grow up, you know, not in an environment that hasn't had, you know, at least a female um, and diverse of diverse background vice president, you know, and potentially president, but we won't go there just yet. And she's also assembled the first woman senior staff for the first time in history. And again, those senior staff are experienced people. She's pulled from the Obama, you know, and even Clinton administration, but also just people who are extremely experienced. So I think that is a very significant and wonderful thing to see. That's awesome. Uh, you can't take that progress for granted, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, and she's got a bright future, and man, she's so fun to watch. Like she just brings a joy to everything. That that's really you know she has an energy that's really exciting. She's a great candidate. But, you um, know, it, I couldn't help but to think. Sorry to cut you off, but that she will be a front runner for the next. Uh, you know. Well, I would think so. I mean, I think that you know, I would certainly think so. so Biden I, wants. Yeah, that's Biden a lot wants to think about. I mean, that was you know that had to go into his consideration. So yeah, and I think that's very uh, that's very progressive and. Uh, I, I'm encouraged by that. Yeah, and Biden has indicated he wants her to be a true partner, you know, and he wants her to take on major issues that he can't, you know, because he had a great, he and Obama had a great relationship, you know, and yeah. he wants to have that same relationship with her. And I think it's it's just awesome to see, you know, um, that happening. Totally agree. So Matt, you had some news around the- uh, No, I just, I mean, I, I, you know, we, we saw the- 400,000 people now, right? Where 420,000 people almost have died of coronavirus in the United States. The, uh, you know, that and the, and the insurrection are what Trump will be remembered for, right? I mean, th- those two things. And, but anyway, it just felt like a, a milestone, like 400,000. Oh my God. And you saw that um, acknowledged by, by Biden. And during the, you saw the display on the mall there with the, um, to represent the, the 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 people who have who've succumbed to that, um, it's good. It to was see, nice. To, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no. Uh, it was nice to see uh, uh, politicians uh, and Mitt, from Mitt Romney to uh, Joe Biden uh, talk about truth. Uh, yeah. that you combat these things with truth. Uh, you know, is well. Bad news, I, I, I think see- how can you begin to like uh, correct any problem without knowing the facts well and i think i saw a quote from dr fauci that said that you know this administration's this prior administration's lack of candor early on about this cost lives you know it really did and they you know but surprise it looks like they also bungled the vaccine rollout the uh i mean the like the biden team coming in it looks like they're appalled at like you know what they're finding out here like they don't know where they're at with it they don't know what they have like it just looks like nobody was was doing a good job of managing that shocking outside of taking credit for the vaccinations (laughs) he he said nothing about it since the election which he lost yeah and fought and bitched about until 
he left. Yeah. So, but, but I mean, I, you know, Biden's pledge for the, you know, trying to get 100 million vaccinations in the first 100 days, this is encouraging. And, you, you know, to, he's got the mask mandate, right? And, and uh, you know, just to see like a unified, coherent federal response to this is like immediately you just feel like, okay, like something is happening here at the federal level. It's coordinated. And, you know, the government's not known for great coordination and management, but they, they you know, at least they're doing something and they're in action. Now. One of the most encouraging things I heard uh, concerning the vaccination was that Fauci said it was reasonable that, that you could, that we could vaccinate a hundred million people in a hundred days. And I, I, that was probably the most reassuring and one of the things that made me feel more safe than anything I've heard or saw in the last week or so was that because given thus far, I, I mean, has any, have any of you heard anything about when you could possibly be vaccinated? Or no, other any, than other than uh, if I uh, hovered around CVS around the time they close in case they have extras. Apparently, people are doing that. that <laughs> they're, right? like, they're like hovering because you know. I mean, I, you know, disparity and in, in, in income and neighborhoods and stuff. Um, but I mean, I don't even know anybody outside of uh, healthcare professionals on Facebook that I don't know anybody that's uh, knows when or where they would go once uh, this is up till now. So maybe, I, hopefully, that will change. And I found what. Uh, I th found that news encouraging. Yeah, I actually, I got an email from my doctor. She sent out sort of a mass email last week to everyone, which was really great, all about the virus or the vaccine, you know, and she was like, I got it. You know, if you get a chance, take it. She's like, we don't have it right now. But she was just giving some great info and links, you know, which I really appreciated. I, you know, I agree. I think the federal, the federal government hadn't done anything. You know, I think um, Biden's administration acknowledges that they were left with really nothing. Um, and they had kind of thought they'd toss it over the wall and have all these states manage it, but these states are dealing with budget issues as well. And that was obviously a mistake. So I think I'm very refreshed as well to see the new approach and directive. Sounds like, um, you know, Biden's going to implement, what's it called? It's called like a, there's some act that will really require companies to create, you know, PPEs and things needed for the vaccine. Oh, it's like the War Powers Act or something? Production like, Act, maybe. Yeah, the yeah. Production Act. Um, but also he's mobilizing FEMA and he's planning to create all these centers so people can get vaccines, similar to the way that, you know, there were all these centers that you can get tested, you know? Yeah. Um, so hopefully, hopefully, you know, that will help ramp up production and hopefully by spring-ish, early summer, we will be able to, you know, those of us who do not have, you know, aren't at risk or don't have high medical um, cases, we'll be able to get the vaccine. But again, I've seen like everyone in the, I know in the, in the medical field on Facebook exactly has gotten their first, you know, shot. My sister yeah. actually is, does, um, is a social worker and does some home health care and she's got her first appointment, but she had to call to get it. Even those people who are qualified yeah. are now having some challenges getting That's through. Right. I know someone else in California who has a home health care aid for her mother. And she's like, Oh, I, she finally got them in, but it was a challenge. So, yeah. you know, my, uh, I was talking to my mom about this the other day, like some of the people in her age group are starting to, starting to, it's starting to become available for them. Uh, my, my wife's mother had her first vaccination. Um, 
so it's starting to move, you know, but it's not like people like us who are, you know, I mean, although uh, my wife was talking to one of her friends and she said, well, we're not going to get it till, you know, summer or whatever. And and her friend was like, we're not that young, you know, I mean, like, we're going to, you know, like, it's not like this, you know, I mean, we're, we're you know, we're, we're, we're in line, you know, we're, we're in the front half of the line, you know, like, relax. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll, I will get it, but I think it's going to be, yeah, I, I wouldn't expect it before spring, summer, I don't think. And now, highfalutin arts and culture. So, I, for me, one of the great stories of the last week, um, and of the inauguration, was Amanda Gorman. I, she was amazing. Um, 22-year-old poet activist from Los Angeles. She's the first person ever to be named the National Youth Poet Laureate. And um, she read her poem, and I mean, 22 years old up there, you know, in front of the nation. And she read her poem, uh, the, the Hill We Climb, which was amazing. It was incredible, uh, moving. It was one of the most moving moments of the day for me. Um, everybody's talking about her. It's incredible. Like, I've never seen such a buzz around like a poet before in my lifetime, which is really exciting to see, I think. Um, following that reading she has just three books that are coming out in the next year she has uh she has or the next 18 months or so she has um the the hill we climb which is hill we climb colon poems which sounds like a collection of poems she has uh change sings a children's anthem um and then she also has the the hill we climb a special hardcover version of it those are all one two and three on the bestseller list on amazon right now um, which is incredible, a poet, you know, and she went, she went from being, you know, somebody who not many people knew about to being uh, kind of a sensation overnight and well-deserved. I mean, she's amazing talent. Um, and that I, I encourage everybody to go, to go check it out. We'll, we'll put a link on the blog to the, to this, um, her reciting the poem. It's, it was really moving and fabulous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I know Monica, you also had, some some thoughts about about that and about her um so i'd like to hear your thoughts about that yeah i thought she was incredible and i wanted to kind of read actually the beginning part of the poem because i think it's so it was so powerful also if you looked at her reading like it might have just been the sun or the makeup she was wearing but she was like shimmering and glowing too it was <laughs> awesome like it was just so beautiful and like her delivery too i actually heard an interview with her on npr as well and she was talking about how she had a speech impediment too um when she was younger and she said wow. ours in particular were pretty hard for her um and so she said like you know she had to practice you know particularly this speech a few times and she actually I don't know if it's exactly she had writer's block but she was sort of working on finishing it but the riots a couple of weeks ago really inspired her to kind of you know finish this poem but I think that's a great relationship too because again we're being honest about sort of flaws and even Biden you know has talked about his speech impediment too you know and and you could see it sometimes even in sometimes when he speaks now he pauses and they're like he's not he's pausing to kind of formulate kind of the words. But I did want to read just the first part of her poem, which oh, I don't well, think will well, violate copyright. But before you do, I'm sorry, I wanted to um, also speak on the fact that uh, she spoke about her uh, speech impediment making her the speaker that she is, um, and that she was embracing that rather than, uh, she didn't look at it as a hurdle as much as a uh, the, the reason why she is who she is, so. It's so interesting, that, like overcoming adversity, powerful. like, you know, is so often like so critical to becoming who we are, you know? 
yeah. and acknowledging yeah. it though, you know, again, similar to that Kintsugi I mentioned, we're not, people aren't hiding it anymore. You know, they're, they're acknowledging it. Like I have this issue and what that does is like I mentioned with the small little girls who are like seeing Kamala Harris, they're like, Hey, you know what? This is, this is normal. This is natural, you know, and here's someone who had something similar and they overcame it and they're acknowledging how it contributed to who they are now. You know, traditionally, I think back in the day, like people hid things like that, or they didn't want to acknowledge, you know, they thought of it as weakness or, you know, and so I, I, I'm so excited that we're, there's more of this embracing. Yeah, the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read a few lines first, and I will fully acknowledge that I do not do it justice in the way she does. So please do go look okay. at it's her okay. video. This, but is it's gonna just... be, this is going to be cut for copyright consideration, so that's oh, fine. It's... No, it won't. You, yes, we can say a few words, can't not we? Not really. You can say you can say like I think it's five percent. The uh, so you'll have to we'll have to count the words. I think this is five percent. It was okay. a pretty long poem, okay. <clears throat> or we can cut it down. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We brave the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace, and the norms and notions of what just is isn't always justice. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country at a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose. So it's just, and that was just the beginning of it. And it's so powerful and some wonderful words. Fantastic. Yeah. She also, good. by the way, I don't know if you've saw, she wants to be president someday. That was way more than 5%. No, look at the whole plant poem. That, <laughs> but, that was a lot, <laughs> but it was but it, longer for sure. But I, but I think we're fully acknowledging that we do not do her justice in, in the performance no, of please, it. And I have a feeling she might not come after us. For please it. buy her uh, book of poetry. The family uh, <laughs> talented. You'll enjoy it. The, yes. uh, it was extremely moving. Um, and also, you know, the other thing I noticed is they, um, I don't know if anybody watched, like, so the, as the inauguration went on, the end of the evening, they had a big celebration, right? And Tom Hanks was there hosting it at the Lincoln Memorial, and it was great. And John Legend performed. And uh, um, the uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda recited um, a Seamus Haney poem by uh, that, that Biden actually also read at the uh, 2020 Democratic National Convention. Um, and it's the, uh, the cure at Troy. And, uh, I just, you know, I love that, like poetry is being discussed now. And, uh, we have a president who recites poetry and, um, we have a president who actually has a favorite poem and, um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, yeah, it's the, and that, that poem, they talk about the hope and, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's a great poem. I encourage you to go check it out. Seamus Haney's a great poet. Um, but yeah, it's just nice. I, that's the country I want to live in where we have, you know, we're talking about poetry at the end of the week and um, and celebrating a poet or two. And, um, you know, that, that made me feel good this week. I liked that. Yeah, I love that too. Yeah. I have to acknowledge. The other thing in the arts that uh, or in culture, I guess, that we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that that came out of the inauguration is the Bernie memes. But um, I've never seen something go so viral so quickly. It's uh, you know, Bernie out there all bundled up in his ridiculous mittens, and uh, you know, it's uh, for whatever reason that image is really resonating with people. 
Oh, my sister happy. sent me, my sister sent me a picture of like my mom walking the dog with Bernie sitting there. That's and then hilarious. I saw actually on one of the late shows, they were interviewing Bernie. They're like, have you seen these? And he's like, yes, they're showing them to me. He, he was saying that like the woman who made the mittens, I guess is now overwhelmed. It was like gifted oh, to funny. him from a woman. In- <laughs> mittens and That's good for her. Yeah. He's more yeah. famous than like the, the, you know, the guy, uh, the dreams guy, the Fleetwood Mac dreams guy drinking the cranberry juice on his skateboard. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. awesome. That's uh. Yeah, they came fast and furious, didn't they? I was I was pretty tired of it by like the second. What is it? It's Did you see Saturday? the Prince ones though? Did you see the Prince ones? No. <laughs> There's one where it's like the image of like Prince in the bathtub, you know? It's like oh, uh... and the uh, and Bernie sitting right next to him and there's one of the Purple Rain cover where it's like uh I think it's like you know where Apollonia is, it's Bernie instead, <laughs> you know. Like... It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. it, it uh, jumped the shark pretty quickly in my book. It's fun. No fun. Um, Did you so also pre- see the? And just one more thing I wanted to mention: the uh, Dave Chappelle has that uh, coronavirus. Uh, and he got it right after he posed really close to Elon Musk and Grimes. In a I picture. saw that. Yeah, I blame Elon Musk. Elon Musk and who? Grimes, his his girlfriend, who he has a child with, and their child has a weird name that's made up of numbers and letters and X's. Oh, right. right. They were out somewhere. They were with another. There was a picture, and then yeah, he got. Coronavirus. Yeah, he's doing. He was doing shows down in Texas. He had to cancel the shows. The uh, he's been yeah. doing all these open air shows. I did not hear that. Yeah, it just came out in the news yesterday. I think I saw <laughs> the. Um, but uh, he's been like having these shows and these like events down in Ohio, where he's from. I think where yeah. the uh, um, that are like open air events where like you know people have been able to go work and do their creative thing and stuff. And he's trying to move it down to Texas. I think for like the colder weather, mm-hmm. and I had to cancel all of it because of the coronavirus. Which is, it's a shame. Yep, that's where that picture was taken. So the uh, only uh, odd kind of thing I had uh, for the uh, arts portion was I noticed that uh, and was a little surprised that Garth Brooks performed. Apparently, uh-huh. he's performed at every inauguration other than like two of them, right. including Trump, mm, yeah. which has caused quite the hubbub uh, among uh, some country listeners, from what I understand. Mm. And uh, he also uh, uh, went around and hugged all the former presidents yes. without a mask because um, yes. he, he was tested a bunch of times. But. Yeah, he was also very casually dressed, which is also kind of funny. I have to yeah. admit, it was you know it was a work day, right? So I was like, I, I snuck away from my desk for a minute, and I. But he uh, said, and he said in his defense that, and I'm not, I'm just reporting. Uh, that he uh, he was very, he's not political. He was asked to uh, do both, and he had a scheduling conflict last time. I find that highly suspicious. However, mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting because I think oftentimes we associate a country with conservative, and so. Um, yeah. And actually, did you see, too, he tweeted it and thanked Lady Gaga's hair and makeup people who apparently helped him, too. Okay. <laughs> He's like, but Lady Gaga, too, if you guys saw her national anthem, I do have to give some credit. It was, it was nice. incredible. Yeah. Like yeah. she just it was one of the it was awesome. It was just the, a wonderful fucking years past about like if that is actually live or not. I think this one definitely was. But you're right. Maybe historically it has an oyster. And I'm like, that doesn't seem live. I don't know. I I think this one was live. Um, I think I the also, Democratic inaugurations, it's probably for real, but not at the Republican. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like you don't believe that. I mean, you know, but I think they often say that, you know, just for all sorts of reasons, it has to be. Yeah. You know, 
I've been dying to get my Garth Brooks line in. Here it is. The uh, like, you know, it was a work day. And uh, so like you're sneaking and getting a little bit of inauguration coverage when you can. The minute I saw Garth Brooks walking down in his like blue jeans, I, I went back to work. Like that was the enough of the inauguration coverage for me. You know, I do. I do have to say something, too, about Lady Gaga. Apparently she has a history with Joe Biden. They've done some work together to help like trafficking victims and other things. So and this is one of the approaches that I think this administration is going to take with vaccinations and increasing them is, um, you know, he took it and Kamala took it. Um, they were online. They were they they videotaped it. I've heard that there's a tactic to get like celebrities to do it online as well and promote to their um, constituents, you know, and even not even fa super famous celebrities, but like TikTok celebrities, you know, or or YouTube celebrities, like these people who have these major followings on these different social networks, um, have them get the vaccine and, you know, show that they're fine and help promote it to people who might be skeptical. See, Amanda Gorman got 2 million uh, Instagram followers. Yeah. The the inauguration. yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, it is. I do. Um, speaking of the inauguration, too, I do want to address the colors worn. So there was a lot of purple worn by Michelle Hillary and Kamala. Kamala said she wore it in honor of Shirley Chisholm, who, if you all don't know, was the first black woman elected to Congress and the first black major party candidate to run for U.S. president. Uzo Aduba won an Emmy for portraying her in Mrs. America, which was a show on Hulu that I really enjoyed. So but it was it, that's a great tribute, you know, and, and purple's also this color of royalty, you know, and like so it was it was there was some color you know, choice. I heard that, awesome that Amanda Gorman again, her, uh, she wore that yellow, um, I don't know if the outfit is the right word, but the, uh, um, it was a nod. She said to, I read to Jill Biden, Dr. Jill hmm. Biden, that she had commented, she'd worn yellow something else. And Dr. Biden had said what a, you know, beautiful choice that was. And, um, also I had read that Oprah had, uh, offered to buy, um, um, Gorman a she, she Oprah had started this tradition where she was buying like the poet laureates like a like a gift for well, they would wear when they would recite and it started with Maya Angelou and she got her a beautiful jacket and I think in a hat and she offered to do the same like can I get by a jacket too for the for the recitation and uh, Amanda Gorman said no thanks I have a jacket already picked out and uh, so Oprah ended up getting her some jewelry that she wore. I think it was the earrings oh, and, yeah. a, and a yeah. maybe or something, but uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I noticed the colors too. That was really, you know, you nice that? choices. I was, I was interested in the poet. So I read the, uh, somebody, somebody at my work pointed out on Slack that story about Oprah. You know, oh. I saw that as well. I also saw, if you saw Twitter, Oprah like commended, um, you know, um, Amanda Gorman publicly on her performance. And she, Amanda Gorman actually did tweet um, Lin-Manuel Miranda asking if he caught some of the Hamilton references. Yes, yes, there were I some, saw that. And he got back to her. He was like, you were perfect, brava. You know, yeah. both him and Oprah said brava, which I, you know, I looked at, I had to look up too, because I was like, bravo, brava. But, and I don't know why I've never really realized this, but technically brava is what you're supposed to say to a female oh, and bravo yeah. to yeah. a male. It's like Latin, right? Yeah. That's so Italian. I was like, oh, Right. Well, it's just like the Latin languages, like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Feminine and the masculine. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. So I have another arts thing, which is the White House um, Oval Office redecoration, if you guys have seen that. So, you know, it, Ashley Williams, the deputy director of the Oval Office Operations, gave the Washington Post an exclusive 20 minute tour of the office before Biden even set foot inside. And she said it was important for President Biden to walk into an Oval Office that looked like America and started to show the landscape of who he wants to be as president. And it's full of symbolism. Like he moved in busts of Eleanor Roosevelt and Rosa Parks. You know, he has the Martin Luther King bust in there and he has Caesar 
Chavez behind him. He has a painting of Ben Franklin representing science, which replaced the one of uh, Andrew Jackson that was up there. And he's actually, there's been some deliberate twinning or pairing of paintings. Like he put Hamilton and Jefferson next to each other to represent how differences of opinion can be expressed within the guardrails of the Republic are essential to democracy. So that I found was really cool. It is. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting that I had that, like, differences in opinion, right, are, are critical. Uh, like, since Biden's taken over, he he signed the, and this maybe harkens back to the news a little bit, but he signed those um, executive orders, right? And then, the, you know, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans came out and they said, oh, look, you know, look what he's doing. And they're wringing his hand, their hands. It, it felt like it was back to normal, you know? Like, at least it was just like, you know, the two parties disagreeing and, you know, about policy. And, and it wasn't like, you know, name calling. It wasn't like calling, you know, questioning somebody's, you know, American or patriotism or, or um heritage or, or any of those things it was just regular like party stuff and it was it felt like god this is a relief you know yeah and to go back to news just to briefly as well he did sign an executive order around lgbt you know protections which i know a lot of people were really excited about yeah. um seeing which was awesome to see as yeah. well well in the new relief packages right like i'm hoping that you know and i think that you will see like a lot more provisions being made for the arts right than like you know than the previous administration had done and um you know when is it when are you gonna feel safe i mean you you were mentioning it earlier like when are we gonna feel safe to go to a concert again you know and like is that ever gonna be the same and like you know whole industries may end up changing as a result of this like you know how are you gonna protect those artists and make sure that that art that you know poets like amanda gorman they're still able to be you know we still able to grow people like that in this republic you know I think Brian might have said it previously in a different podcast, which I agree with. Arts has always found a way, you know, and arts has yeah. evolved. And so I think we'll see. They'll make it through. I am hoping that, you know, and I think it's a little way it's off, but I think a WPA, something similar to the WPA Works Progress Administration that was done that got artists into the communities to create art um, back in the 30s would be awesome to see again. And it seems certainly that Biden is an appreciator of the arts. So... Hopefully we'll see that. And now, highfalutin' sports. So uh, there's been quite a few uh, news stories, uh, sports news stories that I would like to bring attention to that happened since we last uh, did a podcast. But these are a couple that uh, stood out to me over the last couple weeks. And I'd like to begin with uh, the PGA uh, resending its, um, well, I'll just read the quote. Uh, it says the PGA of America uh, Board of Directors voted tonight to exercise the right to terminate an agreement to play the uh, 2022 PGA Championship at Trump uh, Bedminster, which I believe is in New Jersey. Um, so uh -huh. they said uh, their actual quote was, it has become clear that the condition that uh, the, that Conducting the PGA Championship at Trump Bedminster would be uh, detrimental to the PGA uh, American brand. So they feel obviously uh, that uh, dealing, having anything to deal with the president uh, right now is too toxic for their championship. There's once again, golf at the forefront of social justice. <laughs> I mean, it, I mean that's, that struck me because here it's like, you couldn't think of a more conservative uh, right. body, and from what I know, yeah. uh, 
Well, I was making a joke. I mean, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, but I mean that that they're the you know one of the first ones to say, ah, oh, yeah, nothing. We don't want anything to do with uh, Trump International, you know. And I feel that this was one of the things that hit him the hardest. Agreed. You know, you even heard that like this was the low blow to him, but punch. also it was a financial hit. Like he realized that I think too. Like he is he's going to face some major financial issues in the very near future. Yeah, and it's, this it's, was a big one. It's just, yeah, and it's just kind of the beginning. Uh, I mean, um, and that's the what I was trying to stress is like here we have this kind of conservative sport at the forefront of saying we don't want to associate. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Hit them where it hurts. Yeah. Another uh, story um, uh, involving the administration and sports was uh, Trump wanted to award Bill Belichick, the coach of the New England I Patriots. I saw this. Another one that I'll bet hurt him. Right. And he said, um, quote, the tragic events of last week occurred and the decision has been made not to move forward with the award. Above all, I'm an American citizen with great reverence for our nation's values, freedom, and democracy. End quote. And Belichick was a big Trump guy. You know, he had been in his corner. The uh, so that, yeah. I think working in the, the diverse atmosphere that he works, uh, it would be a big mistake. And I have never been a big fan of Bill Belichick, but I appreciate this. I I concur. What do you have against Bill Belichick? Hey. Same thing I have against Tom Brady. They don't seem like nice guys, you know. Like they don't they don't seem like you know. They're both brilliant at what they do. There's yeah, no but they don't seem friendly or like easygoing or like. Meh. Anyway, Tom we'll, we'll Touchdown doesn't seem friendly. He's married to Giselle. <laughs> You know, when they say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Um, I have a couple of news things I do want to mention. Uh, well, and or- one, one okay. last thing, and I think it's, it'll, it'll uh, transition well into what I think you have on tap um, with the recent passing of Hank Aaron. Um, Major League Baseball uh, on the uh, 16th of December uh, reclassified the Negro Leagues as a major league and said it will count uh, their statistics and official records from its thousands of black players. Wow. I didn't see that. That's really neat. Yeah. I saw that and that is major and that is really awesome to see. Right. And that does segue well in because, you know, I did want to mention Hank Aaron passed away. And if you looked on Facebook, Barack Obama actually had a great tribute to him. And what he said, quote, Hank was often overlooked until he started chasing Babe Ruth's home run record, at which point he began receiving death threats and racist letters. But these were letters he would reread decades later to remind himself not to be surprised or hurt. So I I found that really interesting. Like one, that he, you know, kept those terrible letters and like read them just kind of to remind himself like to be strong. Uh, On the heels of that, I also uh, found out that... uh, at that, at that time, uh, around uh, 1974, I believe, when he was breaking the record, he was receiving, he was the, uh, the U.S. Postal Service said that he was receiving more mail than any non-politician, than anybody. And that was fueled by uh, abject racism. Wow. I hope there were some it was, it was positive all, letters in there. It was uh, mostly uh, hate mail. That he was going to uh, break Babe Ruth's record. It is uh, another glaring example of uh, racism is is uh, comes out when uh, people apparently feel threatened. Totally. Well, that I remember, you know, watching you see the f- iconic footage of him hitting that home run, right number seven fifteen, I think it is, and the um, 
the there was you know like speculation that there would be like an assassination attempt or like there you know somebody there would be violence at the ballpark and you see like somebody run out onto the field and you're you know like i'm sure everybody must have been holding their breath and uh-oh and the guy just wanted to shake his hand as he was rounding the bases you know it's just such a like a like a nice moment the uh I, yeah hank aaron was a giant you know and he'll uh, he'll be remembered as one of the giants of the game and rightfully so you know, I, I heard a, a, a broadcaster um, on this one of the sports networks uh, talk about, um, think about what his achievements could have been without those burdens. Right. Um, that those burdens were uh, in, in spite of, in, well, not in spite of, but, you know, what, what, what heights could have been achieved if the playing field had been more equal. And I think you could say that for a lot of the Negro League players, like Satchel Page in particular, who preceded like Jackie Robinson. Like I think he got kind of bitter about it. And you you've read about you know you can there's read even modern day. I'm sorry. No, so it's um, but you're right. I think they could say that for a lot of those great Negro. There's players. even there's even more uh, even more current example in Warren Moon, who spent you know I don't know how many years in the Canadian League um, before he uh, spent had a Hall of Fame career in the NFL. Got two complete careers. Um, wow, you know. Warren, Warren Moon not a popular guy to uh, defend. Why well, I don't know. I don't know anything about him. Warren yeah. Moon was uh, was he had a uh, domestic abuse yeah. situation. Wow. The, yeah. I, I forget about that part. I was yeah. speaking of only only of his. Uh, <laughs> yes, he's a great he's a great quarterback. I mean, it's a Hall of Fame quarterback. So yeah. yeah. Um, um, yeah, and speaking of sort of NFL too, I don't know if you've seen the NFL's cap Super Bowl attendance at twenty two thousand, with seven point five k of that being healthcare workers who have received both That's vaccines. Yeah. Supposedly, people will have to be masked. It's going to be required, and in small pods of like two to four. I've been bothered over the season, like seeing some of the the stands, the people in the stands. Like some of them are packed, some aren't. Like, it's just there's there's been no no dictated rule it's been sort of i think left up to the individual cities and it's just scary to see some of the crowds agree it's tough i think in some outdoor stadiums i mean you can do some spacing we saw it with uh the college which is even worse um in my opinion Mm -hmm. it was a lot of uh you know southern states but then you know in the playoffs the green bay packers had fans you know at a limited capacity I don't know. I, I it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like a wise thing. But then again, this playing the games doesn't seem like a wise thing either. Although I've certainly enjoyed it. <laughs> I think everyone has, but you've seen all the players who have you know gotten COVID or been out for COVID or. Also, I think uh, we'd be remiss to, uh, and speaking of the NFL, to not to speak about the lack of uh, black coach hirings uh, for head coaching positions. There's been uh, yeah, that's surprising. It is. Um, and it's, you know, uh, I think the last like coaching tree that, you know, Dungy, uh, which we had Lovey Smith and mm-hmm. a few other guys uh, that I'm forgetting at the moment um, came to that. And that was like, that was the. Leslie Frazier's a guy that, off of that tree. The, yeah, that's uh, like, like, kind of the, that, that's the end of that tree. And yeah. it's not really anything. And Eric Bienemy, who's the uh, offensive coordinator for the uh, world champions. Uh, Chiefs. I would take Bienemy. Bienemy is the guy we should have taken from that Kansas City you know, tree instead of Nagy. The um, I don't get it. And it's like the, uh, they keep going for all these younger, unproven guys. Yeah. Well, it's a copycat league. So like everybody's trying to copy, like, you know, uh, Green Bay did good with Matt LaFleur and, the, you know, the guy in LA, you know, like they like these you know, young coaches are the flavor of the minute right now. 
We are seeing some diversity in the front offices, though. Remember, we have our first, like, women GM. The Washington Football League has announced, you know, a new GM um, who is a black man. So we are starting to see diversity in the front office, which hopefully will. Like, I guess, Washington Football League with Ron Rivera. It's interesting the way they're structuring it. Like, he's in charge of, like, operations, you know. The coach has a lot of control there. So Ron Rivera and a couple of his directs there are the most diverse, I think, front office um, leadership in a team in a while. I also, uh, uh, female officials, um, which I want to see more of those there. Well, there is, uh, they, I think there'll be one at the Super Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, yeah, that's pretty cool to see. Well, you're right. Coaches though, like Katie flowers is leaving the 49ers and she, but she wasn't even like, she was sort of a more of practice coach even, but she was the one who got some attention in the Super Bowl last year for being the first sort of female coach in the Super Bowl. Um, but I would love to see more women coaches as well. In general, that whole league needs to get more diverse. Just beyond that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And now, ending on a high note. Shall we end on a high note? Yeah, let's do the uh, ending on a high note. You want to start? Yeah, let me kick it off. One, Eugene Goodman. Uh, who you all might have heard of as the Capitol Police officer who really redirected the riot um, away from, you know, the uh, the Senate chambers and has been, you know, credited with potentially saving a lot of senators' lives. Um, he escorted Kamala Harris as the acting deputy Senate Sergeant in Arms at the inauguration, and he received a standing ovation, which was awesome. And a bipartisan trio of lawmakers in it has introduced legislation to give him uh, the Congressional Gold Medal of Honor. And if you hear in interviews, he's really humble, and like everyone's like, you know, he's not making a big deal of it. But it's just, if you saw, I saw a video too of a New York detective like watching the video of him and like tactically breaking it down and. Um, Eugene Goodman has a military background and they're like you can see him like some of the moves he's doing like he intentionally like you see him peek over towards the senate chambers but then you also see him kind of shove the lead rioter guy and then go up the stairs backwards to kind of he's drawing them intentionally away from the senate chambers and like it's just it's quick thinking it's incredible thinking particularly when you saw some other Capitol officers just kind of standing around and like giving directions, you know? So that was one, just something that was awesome to see. Along those same lines, like the arrests that are starting to happen as a result of the entitlement, you know, of all those Capitol rioters. And some are now regretting actions, you know, feeling, and then saying they were following the directions of Trump's orders and wanting him to give them a pardon, which he did not. So I'm really excited to see those arrests happen and there's gonna be more of them, you know, and people are also coming forward and identifying these people, like the 22 year old girl who stole Pelosi's laptop, like her ex-boyfriend came forward and was like, she's talked about selling it to the Russians, you know, and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that. Um, three, I do wanna give a shout out to shelter pets. We're welcoming more pets into yeah. the White House again, particularly one from a shelter that the Bidens adopted, Major, who's joining Champ, who was already adopted during the, or, during their previous administration, but, um, and they've also revealed they're bringing a cat with them as, as well. So I love to see, you know, pets and shelter pets in particular. Also, this has been, you know, it's a terrible pandemic, but it's been a banner pandemic for shelter pets. You know, that like right. shelters have like adopted out a lot more pets because people are home and, mm -hmm. you know, shelters don't have as much pets for adoption, which, you know, isn't a terrible thing. That's great. That is a silver lining. Yeah, well, that was uh, that was the exact thing I was going to say. Uh, 
the good that I came out of this with, and I think I've said it before, I've definitely said another podcast, is that uh, out of uh, the riot from January 6th, I think uh, you're going to see a lot of unity and a lot of uh, togetherness because of that was such a breach of our, our um, democracy and our feeling of, of, of secureness. And I think um, that we need to... S- that we all see that we all need to hold one another more accountable and ourselves more accountable um, and that it can be fragile and that we have to hold it dear and um, not let these kind of things, um, the evils um, like racism fester. It's uh, silence is, is, is death in a sense and nobody's really being quiet anymore. And that's, um, I think that is a silver lining that I see out of uh, all of these uh, all of these things that have happened recently. So, in full circle, I think uh, things are pointing in the right direction, and that makes me feel safer than I felt in our last podcast. Nice, nice. well put. For me, this week, you know, my or the last last couple of weeks, I mean, it's there's been a lot of things to talk about on a high note. I mean, with the you know the we 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 hit a real low. It felt like on you know on January sixth. But there's been a lot of good that has come since then, I think. And the uh, this past week, it was, you know, the, we talked about uh, Amanda Gorman. That was amazing to me. That was a real highlight of this whole thing for me. Um, also this week, we I should have talked about it in the arts maybe, but the uh, Yo-Yo Ma great gave a performance of Amazing Grace on the, that evening of the, you know, during the uh, celebration. That was stunning, and I'm going to post a link to that on the on the blog. But um, that and the, I was really moved by it. I was surprised at how emotional it made me feel. And like, it's not a song that resonates with me, or that I, you know. But the performance was just stunning, and um, I, you know, I found myself getting really emotional by it. And also, when I when I watched Amanda Gorman read her poem, I got very emotional by it. It was just a great it felt like a, a weight was being released. It really felt like a, like this, we, you know, a, a turn the corner kind of moment. And it, it, that for me, like that energy is what I'm trying to hold on to right now and carry me forward. And that was a real highlight to me. And it made me feel really good after a long time of feeling not so good. Thank you for listening to the Highfalutin Podcast. Please make sure to check our website, highfalutinmedia.com, for more episodes and related content.